This is the Bluegrass Beat Podcast. News, training, and first-hand accounts from Kentucky's leading law enforcement professionals and instructors. And here's your host, Critley Kingsmith. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Bluegrass Beat. I'm Critley Kingsmith. They say you can't know where you're going unless you know where you've been. And as we kick off this new season of the Bluegrass Beat, we are excited to recognize 2023 as the Kentucky Department of Criminal Justice Training's 50th anniversary. In doing so, we hope to take a look back at at least five decades, maybe a little further, to see the successes, changes, and learning moments that comprise the history of law enforcement training in the Commonwealth. Joining us on Memory Lane is DOCJT Staff Assistant Patrick Miller, who recently celebrated his own anniversary of 25 years with the agency. Welcome to the podcast, Patrick. Glad to be here. Thank you, Krilla. So the other day, I asked Patrick to come on the show and talk to us about DOCJT history. The reason I asked Patrick is this. You know, you've seen those shirts and signs around that say, I do this or that and I know things. They all end in I know things. Well, around here, Patrick straight up knows things. <laughs> I don't know if he finds this funny or not. I'm seeing smiles. I'm not sure exactly what to say to it, to be honest with you. <laughs> oh, it's it's all good. Since joining DOCJT, you have served as a basic training instructor, supervised multiple sections. Fun fact, Patrick used to be my supervisor. You've helped develop and design courses. You've served as the agency's accreditation manager. You've been an international trainer in Egypt and an adjunct professor for Eastern Kentucky University. So with all that knowledge, are you ready to dig a little deeper into DOCJT's timeline? Absolutely. So as we look back at DOCJT's 50 years, we also need to look at how we got here. We began all the way back in 1966, and that wasn't DOCJT exactly as we know it today. So can you explain that, Patrick? Sure. Basically, what we know as the Department of Criminal Justice Training started back in 1966 as a grant from the federal government. That grant was actually given to Eastern Kentucky University to address some of the law enforcement training needs that were in the nation at the time. What happened is this grant was used by Eastern to start creating some training for law enforcement agencies. One of those trainings was leadership training. Shortly thereafter, there was the creation of what we now know as the Kentucky Law Enforcement Council. And the Kentucky Law Enforcement Council started picking up the trainings for the law enforcement in the state. Now, when I say that, I've got to be up front and say that some agencies were already doing training. They were doing it on their own, but there was no state standard and really no national standard. In this so this was a way to get everyone essentially on the same page. An attempt to start doing some consistent training for law enforcement officers in the state. So what happens is KLEC takes over under this grant and they start doing the trainings. KLEC was in 1972, I believe. In 1973, what was known as the Bureau of Training was created. That's where we will evolve as the Department of Criminal Justice Training. Just to interject here more quickly, it's important to note, we essentially recognize DOCJT as you know it today. It's beginning in 1973, which is why, you know, this year we're celebrating our 50th. 
That's correct. Basically, what happens is the original grant that funded EKU and the training, it's a federal grant, so it goes away. The Kentucky legislature, in some very futuristic vision, in my opinion, took over the concept of the grant and creates the CLEP fund which is the Kentucky Law Enforcement Foundation Program Fund, which is what the officers get their stipend from today. They create this out of a surcharge to tax, which, as far as I know right now, is still one of the models in the nation to help fund law enforcement training. Their foresight has helped in this evolution from the start of 1966 to where we are today. All right. So you mentioned that we started out essentially as the Bureau of Training. When did we become known as the Department of Criminal Justice Training? There's a couple of evolutions of names throughout the history. But in 1985, we get the term Department of Criminal Justice Training based on different executive orders at the governor's offices and different terms for us. Now, along the way, we have changed the amount of training that our recruits are required to take. And, you know, we're sitting here in 2023 and it's a 20-week academy. I was looking back at our history and I was absolutely astonished that back at its inception, it was a mere three weeks. That's exactly right. And you got to realize from zero training to three weeks of training. That would have been a lot. was a big thing back then because there was no requirement. The only requirement that you had to be a law enforcement officer was that you had to be 21 years of age and that you weren't prohibited from carrying a firearms. That was it. There was no real requirement for training. As I said, some agencies were training because they knew the value of it, but there was no consistent state standard. I know it consistently increased over the years. Were these based on need? Was it study? How, how did we decide to continue to increase our training? Can't talk for the ones that were back in 1966 because I was just a young lad back then. But <laughs> what basically happens in terms of training is it comes about in two basic ways. Either legislatively mandated that you add certain things because of the legislative um, intents, or as we've evolved since I've been here, we started doing job task analysis at a higher level. The commissioner at that time commissioned job task analysis for the basic training. Back then, there was one that was done for telecommunications. There was one that was done for supervision of law enforcement officers at the time also. So that job task analysis helps define exactly what task law enforcement officers have to do in the state. So by understanding what exactly a law enforcement officer has to do to do their job effectively, then we now can identify what needs to be trained to help them meet those job tasks. So as we've gone through, we've done more job task analysis. We've looked at it and the training has evolved from the three weeks to the 20 weeks it is now. And just for interest, we graduated our 500th basic training academy class in 2019. And at the time of this recording, we just graduated our 539th. How do we move from just training police officers? Uh, Because from what I understand, in the beginning, it was strictly uh, officers working within the uh, their city police departments to training so many members of our public safety family today. Well, as as law enforcement was seeing the need to be trained, we also in the legislature also started seeing the need for other parts of the criminal justice system to be trained. So in 1978, DOCJT was mandated statutorily to help with the 
coroner straining. And then according to our timeline, it says that sheriffs and, and deputies were added there in the late 1980s. Yes, what happened with the sheriffs was at first DOCJT was asked or DOCJT created a sheriff's academy just for sheriffs. That was about 1987. So then 1989, after talking with the sheriffs, it was determined that the sheriff's departments at that time recommended that the sheriffs also go through the same basic training that law enforcement went through. So the sheriff's academy was no longer completed as a standalone academy, and sheriffs were now incorporated, at least the sheriff's deputies, were incorporated into DLCJT training. Just recognizing them all as law enforcement and saying they needed the same skills. Correct. So when did telecommunications come into the picture? Around 1999, the Department of Criminal Justice Training started training telecommunicators. We create eventually a telecommunications section that is designed to train telecommunicators as part of the criminal justice system. In 2003, legislation was presented that created the Telecommunications Academy as we know it today. So it becomes statutorily mandated for specific telecommunicators to go to the academy like law enforcement officers were required to go to the academy. Obviously, our amount of weeks has changed. Who we train has changed over the years. But how we look as a campus has also changed. I know that DOCJT initially operated out of Eastern Kentucky University's buildings. You also mentioned in a previous conversation as we were setting up for this episode, they had mobile instruction units? How did we become DOCJT, the campus that our recruits and our clients see today? I wasn't around again at that time, but they used to have mobile training labs, which were basically what I understand, mobile home type of a concept with nothing more than a classroom setup. So you had a lecture podium and you had seating in it, and that was designed so that the training could be taken across the state, which we still do to this day to help meet the client's needs. So even way back then, they saw the need to take specific trainings to the client locations around the state. They were the initial mobile labs. We don't have tag-along units anymore, right? We're, no. we're operating out of other schools' classrooms and things like well, that. Now we, we beg, borrow, and steal, or <laughs> we actually actually partner very well with our clients. And a lot of our clients help us to find locations around them that are conducive to the training that we do. So we go to the locations again, but we don't bring our actual classroom with us. Bring the equipment a lot of times, but not the classroom. So broke ground for Funderburk, which was our first building. Is that correct? That's correct. In 1992. So obviously that's not our only building anymore. How, how did that all come about? Remember, as you said, it starts from a grant at EKU. EKU housed the facilities that we used. Um, if I remember correctly, and I may be off on this one, but I think they were over at the Bakley building, which is the EKU football building. So it was determined that there's a need for there a location to be built for law enforcement training. We're a part of EKU's campus anyway. So EKU worked with us to help us to lease the land and we built the Funderburk building in 1992. The Funderburk building probably at that time was thought of as being, oh well, that's what we need. But as we've grown over the years, we start building, the, if I believe next in line, was the firearms building and the the driving track. So we've added on that as a walk from the Funderburk building over to there. When I come on, 
1998, th- that's what the OCJT was. Gotcha. It was the Thunderbird building and the firearms and the driving track. Shortly after I came on, the commissioner at the time and the executive staff and legislature approved the building of the Schwindemann building, which is our current main classroom building and is connected to the Thunderbird building. And they also see the need to build a dormitory because we've been housing our students in our academy at this point uh, at a hotel and then at one of Eastern's campus buildings. They build the Schwindemann building with the dormitory attached to it. They also build the indoor physical fitness track and building so that in the past when we started, everybody was out on what was known as the leech track doing their runs and doing their physical fitness. And the weather would make it to where we had to adjust training. So the need for an indoor physical fitness training facility was seen at that time, and that was built later on. Uh, And then along with it was built the stone building, which is our driving building that went along with our firearms. And then just to mention, I know that in 1999, we also had the Kentucky Law Enforcement Memorial added to our grounds. That's correct. The memorial is seen as part of DOCJT because we do or statutorily mandated for training all law enforcement officers in the state. It is the state memorial. However, there are other memorials around the state. KSP has their memorial. Lexington has their memorial, and others have theirs. So to to back up a little bit, 1998 was a big year for DOCJT. It was the year that the Peace Officer Professional Standards were adopted also known as POPs. As Patrick mentioned, there was continued expansions to the campus, and we gained accreditation to Kalia. Now, this was the year that you joined the agency. Can you tell me what that was like from an eyewitness point of view, experiencing all these changes, and then explain a little bit about what Kalia is? I've seen a lot of changes since I started here in 1998. The, the agency has grown in terms of facilities, as I've already explained. Agencies grown in terms of instructors and personnel to meet the training. The training programs have expanded. One of the things that we're very proud of is the CLIA and national accreditation. It's not just CLIA. We've been dually certified for several years. One, in 1998, CLIA was the national accreditation program for law enforcement agencies. So we became accredited as a law enforcement academy, as a law enforcement agency. They did not have a public safety training academy program at that particular moment in time. In 2006, we then become the first academy in the nation to be certified under CLIA's public safety training academy accreditation. We evolved from just law enforcement to being the flagship for the CLIA accreditation standards. We've also been accredited by ACIT, the International Accreditors for Continuing Education and Training, and recently... We have applied for accreditation under the Council on Occupational Education, which will allow us to be able to move into the educational concepts in accreditation. You know, we hold our our officers to such high professional standards. What does it say that, that our agency holds ourselves to a high standard by seeking these accreditations? Well, I think it helps add a lot of validity to what we do in the overall processes because accreditation standards aren't just focused on your training. 
They focus on your administrative procedures. They focus on whether you have the appropriate equipment. They focus on whether you train appropriately with appropriate methodologies. And they focus in terms of the budgetary aspects and the safety aspects associated with it. So by holding ourselves accountable to meeting national standards, our clients can be assured that we're giving them the best training that is nationally approved and accredited. Now, along the way, there was a big shift in the way that DOCJT hired our professionals to give instruction. Can you explain some about that? Because I believe you were brought in during that change. Uh, When I was first looking at working for DOCJT or right before that, Kentucky Personnel Standards said that they went by a point system, basically that went by how much time you'd had as a law enforcement officer how much education you'd had, and they had a couple of other criteria that they used. Basically what that meant was the agency could only interview a certain number of people based on where they were listed in rank for the hiring process. So those that had been retired and had been law enforcement officers for many years were moved up in the scale so that they were usually the ones that were interviewed. So when I came on, the commissioner at the time had worked with personnel, and I'm not sure how they did this, but basically with personnel, we went from a ranking system of hiring to a basically a criteria system for determining who to hire. And that allowed people like me who had not completed a full career in law enforcement to apply at least and at least get the opportunity to possibly be interviewed. And what that did was allow us to hire people who have been well-experienced and meet the criteria to be a law enforcement instructor, but also they have the ability to come in with a lot of really pertinent knowledge and skills that they've used here recently. So as we get older and we retire in law enforcement, sometimes we move up to ranks. Sometimes we move away from some of the skill sets that we had originally, but now we're getting people that they were just out there doing these investigations or they were just out there doing these reconstructions or they were out there doing the thing. And they are able to come in and present that in a way that's very relevant to the students today. Right. And it gave us the ability to have the balance of the experience that we had had with with our older folks, but also the the excitement and the the most recent information from our new ones. Absolutely. And I think that's important to state and appreciate you saying it because there is nothing, even though I brought out that that allowed us to bring in new people that necessarily hadn't retired, the wealth of knowledge that somebody that has retired from the law enforcement profession is just as critical in terms of being able to relate to the officers in their training. And that balance is exactly what we're looking for, to where we can have officers that decide they want to come here to start maybe finishing their career in law enforcement as a trainer, but also those that have been in law enforcement for a while that can share their wealth of experience and knowledge. So I came here in 2018, and in 2018... I was still hearing about a course that we had in 1997. I heard a whole lot about Police Corps. So I know that just predates you, but can you tell me what Police Corps was? Now, I know that our Commissioner Nikolai Jellick was a member of Police Corps, correct? That's correct. Police Corps was another federally funded grant, and it basically tried putting together a 
curriculum that the federal government would approve for basic training officers. What it did was if these officers came in and went through the police corps basic training program, it funded their salaries, I believe, for about three years. Agencies had an incentive to be able to hire these people coming in and then get them trained using a the nationally approved model for basic training, which meant that we had to adjust certain things within basic training to meet the federal mandates for the police corps. Now, you've been here for 25 years. How has the way that we teach, the methods and technology that we've used, how have we transitioned in that time to, to better meet our clients' needs? We've hopefully evolved uh, in terms of that, in methodologies and the way that we do things. When I first came here, we were given an outline, and the students were given the exact same outline, and there was no such thing as this thing called PowerPoint that <laughs> people are so, and now people are saying, we're too much PowerPoint, but there was none. I had a slide deck that had 222 slides of pictures that I showed in a class. So once upon a time, PowerPoint was inventive. <laughs> Power, PowerPoint was new and the best thing that was ever ever done. And now it's funny to hear some of the, or see some of the critiques that come across on that. Things but, just keep changing, Patrick. Oh, absolutely. And technology keeps growing. So what happens is I was pretty much expected to just lecture what was on this outline and the students could read along right exactly with what I was supposed to say and I would interject some relevance based on my experiences out in the field but that's what training was now skills on the other side has always been skills they go out they practice they demonstrate they practice more so skills realistically other than the way the knowledge component is taught is really very similar than it was back then but talking about the classroom concepts. What happens is we, as DOCJT, there was a push to move toward the facilitative educational format. So when I say that, we brought somebody in from the Royal Canadian Mounted Police that stayed with us for, I think it was six months. We sent somebody to RCMP. They stayed with them. We then sent delegates to RCMP on about three different occasions. One of them, I went with them on that, those occasions. And the purpose was to help bring back the new modalities of teaching in terms of not just lecturing it, but starting to add discussions and the adult-based concepts of uh, exercises, sometimes flip charts, things that went along with it. So the adult-based pedagogy at that point, we start evolving into, and hopefully we've been evolving into it as we go. Some we do better than others. And I think that it might surprise people because obviously there is a continued push toward more and more online training. But we actually had our first online course all the way back in 2005. That's correct. We started the distance learning program back in 2005. We started by partnering with the learning management system that was, uh, that was being used by some Kentucky universities at the time. And we started with the radar recertification online course. We've been evolving courses ever since. Speaking of technology, I don't think anyone knew in late 2019 that the pandemic was around the corner. And while it felt like our personal lives and the training of our clients was in flux, we were actually fairly well prepared to handle 
you know, a lot of the things that the pandemic threw our way in regards of still continuing to communicate with our clients and still training the best that we could. Well, the thing is, as we've been talking, we've been evolving ever since I've been here in different ways. We've been evolving with facilities. We've been evolving with the methods and the way we train. We've been evolving with the hiring of our instructors, all those things we've been talking about. One of the things that goes into that is we've been evolving with our equipment and our infrastructure that's needed to put training on. People don't often stop and think about what exactly goes into making these training programs work. They just see it in the classroom or they just experience as a student. One of the things we have to do is put uh, infrastructure in terms of technology together. We have to have certain bandwidths. We have to have certain equipment. So we had already provided our staff we had moved from the desktop uh, computers where you had your monitor on your desk and your computer was really underneath your desk. We had given everybody laptops. We had already been working with the learning management system so that we already knew, had things online. We had already added the concept of web-based meetings many years before, but we had added WebEx, and we had already had Zoom in place, and we already had Microsoft in Teams. So when the day came, we get told, y'all are going home, like a lot of people around the state, right. except the officers that had to work, and my appreciation to all of you all out there that did that. Absolutely. But basically, we were prepared to go home. I could send you with your laptop. We had what's known as VPNs that allowed you to connect back to the materials that were in-house that you had to have. And despite everything that was going on, it kept us working. Absolutely. You were allowed to, you were able to continue doing at least what was necessary to provide the mandated training component. We talked about us adding on different professions that we trained But we've also taken on different tasks and responsibilities. You know, some of those were mandated through through legislature. Some of those were based out of need. Can you talk about some of the additional roles that DOCJT has taken on over the years? I talked about a little bit earlier about the coroners in 1978 being pushed forward with the legislation. But basically, we've gone from training law enforcement officers to training a lot of people and taking on roles that I would have never seen when I first got here. We added the court security program in terms of the, I I say we, some of this is legislatively mandated. I have to just be upfront with that. But court security officers, we are required now to do a basic training for court security officers as well as an in-service training. Telecommunications, we do a basic training. They're required to have in-service training to maintain their certifications. We start adding the the school marshals program, which where DOCJT is now statutorily mandated to do the school assessments and to complete the assessment for the legislature, but also required to train the school resource officers to maintain their certification. So we had a lot of different things. Some of them stayed, some of them didn't. We used to have a community threat assessment area within DOCJT that went out and did community assessments and provided reports to the local communities. That was a grant that ended, and no longer we do that anymore. Police Corps was another grant that we did and that we no longer do anymore. We also now have uh, KYPCIF. Absolutely. Kentucky Post-Critical Incident Seminar. 
which started in 2017. Is 2017, and the forethought of the employees here at DLCJT, as well as the legislature, to address the issue of resiliency, wellness, and mental health of law enforcement professionals. It started and is now part of the legislative mandates, but it's also growing, and they've started including the telecommunications people within the PCIS programs, and they also have something for the military, officers that are coming back into law enforcement. That's been added as well. So in your current role, you help us stay on track of everything and are responsible for pushing a lot of our projects and initiatives. I know we've talked a lot about our past, but what can you say about DOCJT's future and what people can continue to expect from us? I don't know if it's cliche or not, but the future is bright. And the future is bright with the people that have been hired at this agency. I I see nothing but good things. But as far as moving forward, you're going to start seeing more online training programs. We aim to make sure that those are based strictly on what really needs to be online versus just trying to put things online to make them so that they're able to be taken online. So you'll see an increase in Online learning, you'll see an increase in blended learning. You'll also potentially see the changes to who we train. There may be additional mandates as to who the OCJT needs to train in the future. So we're going to grow. Our clients are going to grow. The growth that I've seen over the last 25 years, I can just project it moving forward. Well, Patrick, thank you for diving back into instructor mode for the day and giving us a fascinating history lesson on DOCJT and law enforcement training. Well, you're welcome. Thank you for having me. And everyone, thank you for listening. More information about today's topic, as well as a link to DOCJT's historical timeline, can be found in this episode's show notes. Remember, you can find us on DOCJT's website under the training tab, on Apple Podcasts, and on Spotify. Until next time, I'm Critley King-Smith, and you have been listening to the Bluegrass Beat. We hope you join us again. We strive to make this podcast entertaining and informative. If you would like to reach us with a comment or suggestion, contact us via the link in the show notes. You can subscribe to the Bluegrass Beat wherever you listen to podcasts. This has been a Team Kentucky and Department of Criminal Justice Training production.